Yeah, well, it's interesting that we've been looking at British history so far. Um, and so we've looked at the life of William Wilberforce, and he was a member of British, the British Parliament, and he, he fought to abolish slavery. He used the platform that God gave him in the Parliament in order to fight against the, the British slave trade. And um, over the course of uh, really um, his, his final years of life, and at least the last decade of his life and some more of that, he just stayed after this um, issue. And it grew out of some convictions that he um, landed on after he had a real encounter with God and his word. And so this is what happens in life, is as we wrestle with what God has to say, out of that, if we'll take courageous steps, grow our convictions. And so because of um, Wilberforce, um, 800,000 slaves were set free in, in, um, in Britain. And we talked last week about another William. His name was William Tyndale. And William Tyndale, he held the conviction that the average common man and woman should be able to understand, should be able to read, should be able to um, hear the Bible in their own language. Something is ringing. Can, I, can you hear that? It sounds like a amplifier, actually. I don't know. Maybe it's not. But um, if it's not distracting you, I'll get through it. It could just be my head. My head's buzzing a little bit. So, Matter of fact, let's pray. I'm not actually feeling the greatest this morning. kind of woke up feeling a little uneasy. And so, and uh, it feels like my food that I ate is just exactly where it was last night. And so, <laughs> have you ever felt that way before? So, you probably didn't need to know all that, but let's pray. Lord God, I just uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word and that it is the truth of life. Lord, thank you that it is, it is like rock-solid granite that we can build a life upon. And that your promise is that if we'll do that, Lord, we can have a life that is um, through, the, through the storms, through the pressure, through the pain. Because of you and your word, we can stand. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning you would help us to continue to be established and become um, even more established on the truths that grow from your word. Lord, help us to build lives on what you have to say. I ask you for help personally right now, Lord. Just ask your Holy Spirit would um, settle my body down and also just that you would just really speak through me and the people that will be sharing this morning, giving testimonies. I pray you'd settle their hearts down as well as they've prepared and have some things that you've taught them. Lord, I pray that they would um, just feel your strength as well, Lord, this, uh, uh, during this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, William Tyndale, I was mentioning, he, he is... Um, because of his efforts of really wanting to get the Bible translated and him translating the Bible from the original languages into English, um, within a couple years of his death, um, what he really fought for and lived for and died for, he, he was um, killed for his convictions. Um, but, you know, Bibles spread throughout um, England and were displayed and really um, authorized by the, the highest leaders, the king himself, even authorized the English Bibles to be placed in churches. And so when, whenever we live out our convictions, um, you know, changes can happen. Um, I want to take things from kind of this um, historical level to real life for us here and now, because we'll be hearing from um, three uh, members of our church and just some of the convictions that God is building in them and these are essential convictions that really come from getting to know God through um, his word and experiencing 
proving his, you know, like proving it, and God proving it in, in these people's lives um, over and over. And so the word convinced, it really conveys the idea of certainty. The opposite of this is, is you know, if you're not convinced, then you're uncertain about all sorts of things in life. Um, you're unconvinced of things. And I think we've all been unconvinced. I know we've all been uncertain about things in life. I've been uncertain about certain about decisions. Like I'm approaching a decision, and I'm not really sure what I should do. Or I've been uncertain about jobs, and I've been uncertain about transition points. And if I should, you know, there's all of these different issues that come up in our lives. Relationships have created uncertainty. Purchases. Have you ever been uncertain about a purchase? <laughs> I wish I would have been more uncertain about some purchases. <laughs> Instead, I had buyers remorse after the fact. But, but uncertainty can be frustrating, and it can even make us really miserable over time. But the truth is that God, and what we've been really looking at, is God wants to guide us through the uncertainty. He doesn't want to eliminate uncertainty because he actually wants us to learn to walk by faith. One of his goals in life is that we would be people who don't just trust our eyes and our instincts, but that we would actually learn to get past our own natural, physical um, choices and, and even our own, like, is this clear to me? No, he wants us to actually trust in him and do what he says. And so and many times that is that he leads us through seasons of real uncertainty. Um, this is why in the scripture there's this continual encouragement to keep moving from immaturity and, and um, youthfulness in our thinking and acting and living to a mature place. He wants us to keep growing. To move from being a baby in him to actually becoming a mature adult who, who thinks and who acts in life based on the truth of the scripture. He wants us to wrestle with this for ourselves. Last week we talked about how becoming a convinced person really is this process of getting into the content, getting exposed to God's, the content of the Bible, taking courageous steps, exercising courage, and out of that grows our convictions. And so, but there's this, there is certainly a process there. If you want just a few things in your listening guide, we're going to walk through a passage and then and invite some folks up to share some of their convictions. And so the first thing you see at the top is becoming a convinced person really is a mark of spiritual maturity. If you decide to walk through this process of <clears throat> building convictions, that's, that's a mark of something. It's, it's a mark of, of true growth in your life. If you look at the image on the screen and really on the front of your program, you see someone walking in this direction. They're, 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 they're heading a certain direction. Uh, they actually know where they're headed. A person with convictions, you know, they have certainty. There's a, there's a level of certainty in in the, the flow of their life, and the movement that they have. This is what I'm going to do. Being convinced leads to direction. And that's really helpful because of all the uncertainty that we face. Check out this passage, though, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 9. Um, the Colossian church was encountering ideas from the culture that, that was there. And if, if the new Christians in this church were not careful, um, they could easily be led into confusion. Because with any church, whether it's a new church or an old church, um, the opportunity for new ideas to float in and to maybe capture our attention and think, you know, for us to think and groups of people to think, wow, that sounds really good. Maybe, I should, maybe we should do that. Maybe we should implement that. Sometimes those new ideas line up with what God says and they're actually rooted in that. Well, they're not new ideas then. But sometimes those ideas are, you know, maybe pointing towards what God has to say. Other times they're they're additional ideas that really don't flow and don't jive with what God has to say. And so in this, um, in this book, Paul, he's writing to this church, and he's really trying to um, warn them, 
about some things that could take them off track. He's one, warning them about some, some ideas that are floating through um, the church. And if they got off track, what would happen to many people is instead of becoming mature and really growing, um, they, would, they would, you know, kind of revert to where they were. They get off track and they kind of start out again with real elementary things of their faith. And so Paul is writing to just keep them moving forward, get them focused on the right things. Look at what it says, Colossians 2, 6 through 9. Paul writes, he writes this, he says that, Therefore, as you have received, or as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Yeah, you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The assumption here is he's writing to the church. He's writing to people who have chosen to follow Christ. And so he's writing this to the fact that they've already done that. So walk in him. Verse 7 says, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Verse 9, For in him, speaking of Christ, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So this passage describes some key things that really help us move towards maturity. And Paul's laying these things out again because he's concerned that they, their growth may be stunted if they just embrace some of these ideas that were seeping into the church. So the first thing he says is this, is live by the Lord's desires. Really, verse 6, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. But li- he's saying keep living by God's desires, not your own desires. Walk, this idea of walk, the word here, it just it means daily conduct. It refers to following him daily. And so Paul's saying, keep walking. Keep in your daily living, in your daily acting and thinking, keep keep walking in him. Growing the right convictions actually means that we don't blaze our own trail. If you're a Christ follower, you've chosen to actually um, stop going your own way in life and turn around and start going God's way in life. And so you're not blazing your own trail. And so if you've already nailed down Christ as your leader, as the boss of your life, then you're no longer living daily to please yourself. Really, um, now you're living to, to follow him daily. This is a huge life-altering shift. Whenever you, do, whenever you choose to declare, I live to please Christ. That, that's, that's the major turning point. That's really when you hand your life over to Christ is when you say, from here on out, I live to please him. I'm no longer going my own way in life. I believe that he's done these things. I believe he's died for me. I believe he rose from the dead. I believe I have a future hope in him that actually begins now, but I'll spend eternity with him, but I have new life in him. And I live to please him from this day forward. Really, it's one huge yes to him that you say, but then every day you're, you're waking up and you're saying yes to Jesus. That's really what the, the daily walk that Paul's talking about is. Every day I have to get up and say, you're the boss, Lord. You're the boss. I get up. I want to be the boss. You want to be the boss. It's getting up and just saying, God, you're the boss today. You've already stated that if you've come to Christ. But every day there is this kind of dying to self and daily walking to please him. Second thing Paul really states here is depend on God. He points the church to depending daily on God. And and this really has to do with where are they drawing strength from? Who are they leaning and relying on? Look at verse 7 again. It says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This rooted and built up, it means we're actually, we're drawing all of our strength to live from him. You and I, we have limits on strength. We have limits on energy. We have limits on, I have limits on patience. 
assuming many of you do as well. But we, we just have limits naturally as people. But what the mature person does is the mature person taps into God's resources for life and for growth. Those resources are really regularly spending time digging into the Bible and, and then responding to God in prayer. This is just where we draw our strength from. It come, this, is, this is how we eat our Wheaties. This is how we get food as we spend time in God's Word, digging into His Word for ourselves and then responding to Him in prayer. You have this picture here of this tree, and look at this deep, look at the deep roots of this tree. You don't get a strong, healthy tree like this without deep, deep roots. There's a lot going on under the surface. We were up in um, northern, far northern California um, a couple of summers ago, and we went up to the giant redwoods um, area, and you can see these trees um, that have fallen over. And you see the root system exposed. And you can go and we take pictures of our family. We have a short family, so it made the, it made the contrast even better. But, you know, you get all of us in front of this deep, you know, this, this root system. And this thing is just massive. You know, it's, it's like double, triple overhead. And, and here we are, a little hobbit family is what we look like, you know. And in front of this root system. But you look at the size of this tree that had fallen down and just these giant, giant redwoods that have, you know, been there for who knows how long. I mean, I'm not going to sit there and count the rings. But, but they don't get to be that size if they don't develop these giant, deep, you know, these deep and wide root systems below the surface. We're very similar. We need to have a lot going on under the surface if we're going to really grow to be healthy people. If much is going to come out of our lives, if we're going to grow in him and grow towards maturity, there has to be a lot going on below the surface. There's got to be a lot more than what's going on here. This is, this is above the surface stuff on some level. You know what I mean? We can get into traditions. Now, this is part of our growth. I don't want to minimize gathering and celebrating what, what Christ has done. This is very important for us. But there's a lot that's, that can go on behind the scenes that really needs to go on if you're going to grow up in him. So part of this idea is that if you've come to Christ that you are, you're already firmly rooted and you're planted securely in a relationship with him. But the other side is that you have to keep drawing upon his resources as you stay connected to him. You have to do this. This has to be a major part of, of our lives. This passage also reminds us this. This third thing here is we have to screen everything according to Christ. Paul's saying, look, all these ideas that are floating through the church, screen it and see if it jives with what Jesus said and lived. Screen everything according to Christ. Verse 8 and 9. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him, in Jesus, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Um, Around 15 to 20 years ago, there was a popular phrase in the 1990s, which that was about 15 to 20 years ago. uh, People were wearing these bracelets all over the place. Remember this bracelet, WWJD? It's like ancient history now, you know, in the sense of like how long ago this thing started. Still goes on. People wearing bracelets, bumper stickers, T-shirts. This was all the craze in the 90s for the Christian community, it seemed. And um, it began with a youth leader in Michigan who who made bracelets for her youth group because she wanted them to remember to ask this question with everything that they encountered in life. This was her effort to get people, her teenagers, this is a pretty great idea here, just to take this thought and this question with you that every time you have a choice, you'd ask, what would Jesus do here? You know, 
Would Jesus go to that place? Would, would Jesus date this person? Would Jesus open that up? Would Jesus think that? So, you know, what would Jesus do? And so um, I remember the craze, and um, I, I caught the tail end of it because I didn't get into the WWJD thing. I got into, well, I don't, I don't know, I got into it. Someone gave me a gift that was the follow-up to this, which is the frog. I don't know if you remember that. It was called Fully Rely on God. And uh, someone gave me a frog as a gift to remind me. So I'd see the frog. I'd fully rely. I don't know the connection between a frog and fully relying on God. It just worked, I guess. But, but this whole idea of, of screening everything according to Christ, the spiritually mature person doesn't buy into philosophies for how life should be lived that are apart from Christ. It's not a stew of the world's philosophies, the world's traditions. This passage reminds us that Jesus is God in the flesh. And because Jesus is who he says he is, and because he is who he is, that he's God, we have been made complete in him. We have what we need in him. Apart from him, because of the fall, we're in a real sad state of incompleteness. Because of the fall, because of our sin, we're in a sad state apart from him. We're spiritually incomplete, we find out. Morally, apart from him, we're unable to really do any good. Mentally, we're unable to really know what is right and good, and so we really need him. Um, first, or Second Peter, Peter writes this, Second Peter 1, verse 3. Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. God's power has been, can be unleashed in our lives, if we'll really draw strength from him, but also screen out the idea is to screen everything through Christ. We are complete in him. He is the only one who offers this to us. Um, in a moment, what I'm going to do is, um, actually, if, if, if you're going to be sharing testimony, if you wouldn't mind coming on up, and I'm going to introduce you. Um, we have three of our members that are going to share. And they're going to be up here sitting on the stage and... Perfect. And I think I'm going to grab these mics. Let's see, which mics am I using? These over here, right? Okay. Here's one mic. Um, sure, pass that one down. That's pretty good. If that'll reach. Oh, I should have tested this. Okay. Um, this is uh, this is Brittany Neese, Jim Graham, and Gavin Andrew, and all three of them are, are members of our church. Jim and Jim and his wife Becky are actually some of our newest members, and I'll tell you about Jim in just a moment. Um, but they're going to be sharing some of the kind of essential convictions that they've that have grown in their lives, and things that God has taught them through experiencing Him. And so, um, Jim is Jim and his wife are missionaries. Jim is here in the middle, and they're missionaries. They serve in uh, Taipei, Taiwan. Um, right now they are here in the States on their state side, so they're getting some, they would, you know, the idea is to get some rest, but I think oftentimes missionaries come back home and, and then the mission agencies send them out to, to do all sorts of work. And so they're getting rest on some level. <laughs> um, but there's a lot going on in their lives at the same time. And so, um, but they have been serving in ministry for over 30 years, and they have two sons who are members of our congregation. One of them just got married off and moved away, and another one's back here on the soundboard. And um, their work is to share the gospel in Taiwan 
to disciple people who respond to the gospel, and then to seek and to plant out or to plant new churches and help establish leaders of those churches. And so um, they lead a team of about 19 people in Taiwan. And so um, the way it's going to work is I'll introduce each of them, and they're just going to share the, the conviction. You'll see it up here on the screen, and, and then share some, some passage and then kind of how they learned that through experience. So, Jim? Well, um, a long time ago, um, probably before some of you were born, uh, when I was in university, um, went through a discipleship group, and one of the verses that, pe- that was taught to us was Jeremiah 1.12. And the last part of that verse says that um, I'm watching over my word to perform it. And the context of that verse in, in, is that God was getting ready to judge his people because they weren't faithful to him. And he was looking for opportunities to make that happen. And as a result of that, he did. He, he brought judgment on his people. As we look at the scriptures, uh, we can see that, that God's word is really powerful. You know, when God, God spoke and he created the heavens and the earth. God spoke and he created the earth. God spoke and he created all the animals and, and the mountains and the sea, seas and uh, he, he spoke, and he created men, and he created women. There's great power in what God says. He, he, he called his, his, using his words, he called Moses to lead people out of slavery. And uh, all that God does, he first speaks. And when he says it, he then begins to look to make it happen. Um, there are many days, you know, when we wake up. And I remember uh, the day, 9-11, waking up. Um, our son Mark coming into our bedroom and saying that an airplane had crashed into the, t- the towers in New York City. Um, we, we remember things, um, and we remember things like that, and we wonder how on earth can things continue to happen? Uh, you know, uh, when we get bad news, when things are, don't seem to be going our way. In Taiwan, when we wake up every morning, we, we work really hard to share the gospel with people, but their, their response is always a doubt, or they want to take Jesus and put him on a shelf. Um, we'll go into some people's homes, and they'll have the baby Jesus from the, the nativity scenes, and they'll put it on a shelf with all the other idols that they worship. And uh, it can become very discouraging on a daily basis to see that that's the response of, pe- of people to Jesus, that they want to take him and put him on a shelf with all others. Or um, in university, or in, in when I was attending graduate school, got some really bad news that really devastated me one day. And God took me to Psalm 112. And I've t- I don't know if anybody else titles that psalm this way, but I title it the, the life of a righteous man. And in that passage it says that a righteous man will not be afraid. Um, bad news can come his way, but he's not going to be shaken. His foundation, his life is rooted in who God is and what he says. And no matter what is said to us, no matter what is said to me, no matter what bad news we hear, um, I can trust God each and every day because he is working every moment of every day to fulfill what he's said he's going to do. I wanted you to kind of get a, a feel for, okay, what does conviction look like on the ground level of my life? And really that's kind of what each of them are going to be sharing, just examples of how it looks to build convictions. Um, so Jim's really is that. He, God is faithful to keep his word. If you're serving overseas, you need to hang on to that. If you're serving here and you're really trying to reach people, you need to hang on to the fact that God's going to keep his word. Thanks for reminding us of that, Jim. This is Gavin. And uh, Gavin 
has been a part of OCC, I think, since the second week that we, that we, um, that we launched here weekly. So that was almost seven years ago. And um, he was a teacher um, up until yesterday or Friday. <laughs> and he has transitioned out of that role, and he's starting a new role um, tomorrow. And so um, he is married and has uh, two boys. One is one is not born yet, but any day, time, could be today. <laughs> His wife is over here. And so uh, another one's in our kid zone, I'm sure, right now. And so um, they're also group leaders. And um, actually, I have the privilege of being led by him in our, in our life group right now. He's, he's, the, he's our leader. And so anyway, Gavin, what is the conviction that God has, has uh, shown you? Um, our, the conviction that my wife and I have really learned these past few years is that God will take care of me. And we found the verse in, in Matthew 6, and there's actually a whole passage there, but uh, Matthew 6:26 in particular says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And like Josh said, I just recently am doing a transition here, so most of my tears were, were gone, gone on Friday, so I'll try not to cry anymore with that. But um, when we had the birth of our first son, Cal, we went from being what Josh referred to us a few years ago as dinks, double income, no kids, and things were financially wise fairly easy. And when Cal came along and she transitioned from full-time down to part-time, we just really saw uh, it get a little harder financially at home. And our savings just dwindled quite a bit through that, that time. And back in uh, April, we found out we were expecting uh, son number two, the name to be announced when we figure that out, <laughs> that um, things are going to be really tight. Uh, she wasn't going to be working, um, obviously, for a few months as the baby comes, and she doesn't get that maternity paid time being a part-time employee. And when we looked at our bills, we just we saw that the, they were more than what we than what I brought in. And I was finishing up my master's degree in education administration, hoping to become a, a vice principal to a principal at some point. And during um, maybe June, where there's a vice principal spot at Woodcrest where I had taught the past seven years, open up and. We're like, this is great. This is how God is going to provide and take care of our family. And we were really excited about the opportunity. I uh, applied, went through it. There's 30 people who applied. Um, I made it down to the final two out of 30. And, and then God had a different plan. And really taken aback, um, it was kind of a, a big blow. And a, I, I didn't quite see what God was doing for a moment. But we continued to just pray and, and realize that by February, when the baby, you know, God willing, he comes someday, um, <laughs> when, when, he, when he arrives uh, into our house, that, Something needed to change again because we just couldn't couldn't make it. And during this time, our, our car had some issues, and we had to spend you know $700 on our car. Um, a few days later, my wife's taking a shower and said, "Babe, the water's not getting hot." So there there went our water heater, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is going on?" And we just kind of continued to trust and rely on him. And uh, a day later, I went to work, and there was an envelope on our front por- uh, porch, and $200 in there, just you know from somebody uh, kind of going knowing our situation was what a, what a huge blessing it was. Um, my parents called and said, you know, we want to we cover your water heater. Just, we kind of feel like you guys need a little blessing, and, and that's how we want to provide it. So they came, and my dad helped me install it, and they paid for it. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, this is a, really a, just amazing. Um, not only did we see him cover some of those needs, but some of, some of our wants as well. We, we wanted to provide Cal with a train table for Christmas, and it just wasn't quite in our, our budget. And our friends, Kyle and Brian Murphy, they attend here as well, gave us their train base, and we got to kind of make it for our own from there. And um, my former principal, his wife passed away a few years ago of cancer, and they gave us a, a big gift uh, over Christmas in memory of her. Um, really, out of, out of the blue, just 
he called me into his former office, and, and I almost broke down uh, in tears again there. I, I cry a lot now that I'm a dad, I realize. <laughs> yeah, kids will do that to you, apparently. Um, and so during December, November, I got a phone call from Taylor Neese, and there was a position available at CBU that I had seen open in June, but I thought I was going to be a vice principal, so I didn't uh, look at it then. Well, he told me about it. I applied, had an interview, and as of tomorrow, um, you know, we said that in February something needs to happen. Oh, I start tomorrow. So, so God definitely takes care of you, and he does it in his time, and here it is, January 26th tomorrow, and I'm starting a new job that really provides for some of those needs, and it's just amazing to see him take care of my family when I, I didn't see how he was going to do it, and not my plan, but, but his plan was definitely done, and we continue to just rejoice with him uh, to this day. So, Thank you, Gavin. This, this conviction, this phrase, God will take care of me, you know, there's a bunch of verses Gavin could have shared that really lay the scriptural foundation for this idea, this principle, God will take care of me. Um, it almost sounds like a cliche, yeah, yeah, God, God will take care of me, God will take care of me, yeah. Well, I better go put something together. So. And that's what we tend to do. God will take care of me. But what, am, what do I need to do to make that happen? And so when God comes through in, in very miraculous ways, like, like Gavin and Jenna's new way of building their conviction, no, God will take care of me. Actually, when he shares with people, he can actually say, you know, God will take care of you. Not, not in a cliche way, but I've seen him come through. God will take care of you. Let me tell you how. This is the way our convictions, again, are contagious. Um, this is Brittany Neese, and Brittany is... Um, also, her, her and her husband, Taylor, have been part of our church from within the first couple of weeks of us starting, and so about seven years. And um, she has taught as a professor um, at Cal Baptist. She is a wife, a mother of, of three, under the age of three. And um, I'm going to let her share about that. And also, they're group leaders here in our congregation, so go for it, Brittany. Uh, well, if Gavin cries as a dad, I'm a female and a mom of three, so <laughs> I have a tissue. <laughs> um, I think uh, for sure God is training me and he can be trusted um, is an understatement. <laughs> um, we found out last um, December that we were pregnant with twins. Um, we went in for our basic, you know, you, the appointment to hear the heartbeat for the first time, and she said there were two heartbeats. And um, I can't really describe what that feels like, um, Shauna knows, but it's, um, it's exciting, but it's also terrifying. And um, this feeling of like, whoa, Lord, are you sure <laughs> um, you want to do this? And um, so about February of last year, so about this time last year, we, were, we knew we were pregnant with twins for about two months at that time. And um, I was really wrestling with a lot of fear. Um, I have a, at the time, she wasn't even two yet. Um, little girl, and I'm thinking, how am I going to do this? Oh, I said three boys. I'm sorry. I'm, it's okay. You said three kids. It's okay. okay. I have a little girl and then twin boys. Um, but just feeling very overwhelmed with a lot of fear. And um, that Sunday, Cody actually played um, the song that's called Oceans. I don't know if you guys remember that song. Um, but the chorus says... We actually have... We have, we have it. We're going to play it. Actually. Oh, stand by. <laughs>
sang that song, and I was, um, it was just like God spoke to my heart in that moment that um, he was going to lead me in places that required great faith, um, but that he was really going to take care of me through that. Um, there's a scripture, Isaiah 41.10, that says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that has really been my rock. Um, it has been really hard <laughs> um, on some days and even harder on other days. Um, but God has just been so faithful to take care of us. Um, there have been a lot of, um, it's hard to, I fear a lot um, that I'm not able to give my boys what I was able to give Nora, this like undivided one-on-one time and attention. I can't even hold them sometimes when they're crying because the other one's crying. Um, but it's been amazing to really trust that God is training them as well, and he's going to take care of them, that he chose them to be in our family, that he chose us to be their parents, that he chose Nora to be the big sister, that he's not going to rip her off, that he's going to take care of our marriage. And um, as we really have just sought to lean on him for help, um, he has really, really helped us through. And um, I'm telling you, there are days when um, I wake up and all of them wake up at once, and uh, <laughs> and it really is like, okay, Lord, which baby should I get first? Um, <laughs> but it's amazing how God has just really trained me to trust him um, as we've sort of walked through this journey, um, <clears throat> believing that he's going to take care of us. Um, the other thing is we've had some very, very specific ways where God has taken care of us. Um, we found out we were having twins right before that. Taylor had been um, looking into a different job for a number of reasons, um, but one of them being it would allow us to stay home, me to stay home from work. And so he took that job, and we were just like, oh, I hope that was the right move, and then we found out we were pregnant with twins. Um, <laughs> so it was like, okay, the Lord knew. Uh, a week before the twins were born, Taylor was given a significant raise, um, which really, really helped us um, financially. Um, sorry, I have a list so I don't forget. Um, right when we found out we were pregnant with twins, one of the first things we prayed for was that God would give me a healthy full-term pregnancy, that our babies wouldn't spend any time in the NICU, and that um, that I'd be able to deliver them. And God was very kind in answering all of those requests. It went to 38 weeks and four days, which for twins is four days overdue, which was miserable. <laughs> but I was very thankful for that. Um, we had some scary health moments along the way. At three weeks old, um, the twins were both hospitalized with fevers um, of 103 degrees, which for a newborn is really scary. Um, the doctors were uh, scared us out of our minds. Uh, but we were hospitalized for four days. They never found out what was wrong, but God just took care of them. He healed them. And um, the way people in our church and our family just really served us during that time, um, taking care of Nora, bringing us Starbucks, bringing us meals, um, it was just amazing how God provided. Um, early on, Cohen had a problem with his neck. And so um, I wanted to go to the chiropractor to, f- to see if he could help. Um, I told Taylor, I don't know how much it's going to cost, but I just want to go and find out, you know, maybe we can afford it or just see if there's something he can do. And we got there, and the chiropractor in the first appointment um, said he wanted to pay for all of Cohen's care. He said, you don't need to pay a thing. And so then I had to figure out how to get twin eight-week-old boys and a two-year-old to a chiropractor twice a week. Um, and it was amazing. One of my, our, my first appointment going by myself um, a friend of ours was there um, who we knew and was able to help me through the appointment and stayed with me and helped take care of the twins. And Nora was potty training and had to go potty, and um, the friend stayed with the twins. It was just little things where God just really took care of us. Um, we didn't have to buy diapers for the first six months. We bought diapers for the first time this month, which if you think for twins, that's a whole year's worth of diapers um, that people gave us. We haven't had to buy any clothes for them. People have just um, taken care of it. 
Um, our family and friends pitched in and got us a housekeeper and a gardener for the first six months um, to help us sort of survive the transition. And all that to say, it's just been amazing to see um, God. We can really trust him to take care of us. Um, it is My life right now is still um, exhausting, <laughs> and I'm still in the process of becoming um, convinced of um, of who God is, but it's amazing to see even just in the last year how God has just been faithful over and over again, and he's really training us to trust him that we really we need his help in the small moments and in the big moments of our lives. Um, Thank you, Brittany. Thank you all. Let's give them a round. What strikes me from listening is that Walking with God is something you just, you don't graduate from needing to grow. You, you actually, you actually, you just keep walking with him. and You keep needing to walk with him. You don't graduate from that. And so um, in a moment, our, our I, I, could I invite uh, Cody and our worship team to come back up and, and our ushers to prepare to receive the offering. Um, next week, we're going to keep kind of, Looking further, there's one key idea to building convictions that I want to address scripturally next week. And so I want to invite you to come back for that as we look at this um, one more week. My encouragement for you is to continue to get into God's word and, and, and then have the courage to, to take the step, the action, to apply what he's saying from, from the Bible. Um, these things, these convictions that they're sharing, they may seem like, well, yeah, we know those things. Well, it, oftentimes we have head thoughts, head knowledge, and then we have heart convictions. So what, what I'm really wanting to talk about is the heart conviction. And actually God drives things into our heart through experience and oftentimes through challenge, like what all of them have shared. And so um, as I wrap up, would you pull out that connection card and kind of finish filling that out? Um, the ushers in a moment are going to be receiving the offering. And when they pass those baskets around, you can drop this in the offering basket along with, if you came prepared to give an offering and you'd like to give, you can drop that in the offering envelope, place that in the basket as well. There's some next steps on the back. If you'd like, you can check those out. Here they're up on the screen. We want to encourage you to sign up for a group. If, if that's something, if you've been coming around and you're interested in connecting with some others here and, and growing deeper here with us, then I'd, I'd really invite you to be a part of a small group. And Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for what Jim and Gavin and Brittany all shared, Lord, and just these truths that we want to believe for ourselves. We want to experience the reality of these things in our lives, Lord. Help us to have the courage to apply your word. Help us to have the diligence to dig into your word. Lord, thank you for the stories that were shared and how that motivates us, encourages us, Lord. Pray for each person here. There's a lot going on in this room. There's a lot that you know about that we've not told people about, Lord, that you're working on. I pray that we would, you would help us, Lord, to take steps with you of faith. Lord, keep building our convictions, not just as individuals, but even as a congregation, Lord, as we team together, as we partner together to accomplish what you want, Lord, in this area regionally, even internationally. Lord, help us to be a part of your work. Lord, help us to join you. Bless the offering we're about to receive right now. Bless those who are, who, uh, are faithful to give and, and just those in our church family who help support the work here. Lord, I pray you continue to help us, Lord, with all that congregation is doing and needing, Lord. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.